Welcome to Table Lore, a storytelling podcast providing background lore for tabletop role-playing games or a podcast to fall asleep to. Whatever brings you here, we're just glad you're here. I'm your co-host, Megan. And I'm your other co-host, Cass. Before we begin, remember that Table Lore is a fictional storytelling podcast, and while sometimes we will explore real legends, nothing we say should be treated as fact. This week, we're going to Texas. Yeehaw! Hi, Cass. Hi, Megan. Are you so excited? I'm very excited. I'm so excited. Like, a month ago, we were driving in our car through Texas, and we just started telling each other stories, and now here we are. Now here we are, in the studio today, together. This is a very formal studio. Yes, we're in Megan's office, in her apartment. That also sounds really fancy. I am not that fancy. Well, you do live in an apartment, so you're that fancy. I I guess I am fancy enough to have an apartment. Yeah. What a privilege, truly. I mean, in these trying times. Oh, my God. Truly. A massive privilege, yeah. So, where are we going today? So, today we're going to go to the fictional town of Alvin, Texas, which came to us as we were driving through Texas, like you said, and... um, we were inspired just by the landscape and what we were really inspired by. Do you remember mm-hmm. what we drove by? Yeah, tell us, Cass. Well, we drove by this, um, it looked like an abandoned just house on the side of the road that was just kind of overcome with, with trees and brush. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, what's the story of that? Yeah, it was this kind of cute, like, honestly, it was pretty cute, little white kind of farmhouse. Um, Probably only had, like, two, maybe three bedrooms, a bathroom, just very tiny, but on so much property. And clearly nobody had lived in this house for a long time. But Uh, it didn't look creepy. and, And there was nothing around it there were there was no civilization the nearest neighbor was probably like minimum 20 miles away um so truly just out in the middle of nowhere so we started coming up with a story about who the people were that lived in this house what happened to them why it was abandoned and then we realized that it was the perfect setting for monster of the week Yes, which I love to play Monster of the Week. We also, Megan and I, play Dungeons and Dragons with a group of our dear friends. Shout out to the Peachrings. Um, yes, the Peachrings. And um, so we're just really excited. We thought, well, Megan is a storyteller and a creative writer. So I thought that between the two of us, we would be able to come up um, with a podcast that was both entertaining and could, like... What you went to the creative universe of storytelling. Yeah, and how you can piece it together. Um, so, the yeah. f- framework. And at the end of the episode, we'll give you a couple of game-playing suggestions that go along with our story for today. Yeah, 
So what we want this to be is to be, we do the hard part. So we'll come up with this background for whatever one shot or monster of the week that you're running. We'll come up with all the creative background and then you can take it from there um, and play it at home with your crew, your friends. And on our website, you can send us a little contact form and tell us all about your gameplay and experiences. You can drop us some suggestions for next episodes. Um, We want to hear everything that you have to say. Yeah, I would love to be building a community of storytellers together. Okay, Megan, will you please set the scene for us? The year is 1967. And the McAllister family moves to Alvin, Texas, where they have purchased a recently constructed but mysteriously abandoned ranch. I love this. Okay, so the McAllister family, I think, is just a dad, a mom, and maybe one kid. Jonah. Jonah's the kid? Yeah, Jonah's the kid. I think he's probably like 11. And just like a scrawny little, keeps his shirt tucked in kind of dude, right? And his mom, like, wets his hair every morning and parts it exactly. Very homeschool. She homeschools. Yeah, the mom homeschools because there's probably not a school conveniently close to where they live. So Alvin, yeah, Alvin has a population of 247 people. And it probably spans a large geographic area. I don't know. It's probably, like, a county, even, like. Right? A county with just... County-sized town. Geographic area. (laughs) No, it's probably like Alvin County. And then, like, Mm. there's, like, this unincorporated... Have you ever passed by a city so small that it's called... It has a name, but then comma, unincorporated. Oh, that's how small Alvin is? Yeah, it's Alvin Unincorporated. Okay. Like Mystery Incorporated? Like Monsters Incorporated. Damn, that was good. Okay, so dad, James. Tell me what James looks like. James is six foot two. He has sandy brown hair, a little bit of that gray coming in, um, which he doesn't cover up with a hat. He, like, very purposely doesn't cover up his gray with a hat. So he's probably very tanned if yeah. he's out there working in Texas and not wearing a hat. Yeah, he has the classic kind of, like, farmer's tan, where his face is, like, tanner than the rest of his body, because he's always wearing a long sleeve button-up white shirt with his work gloves on, and he wears all of that underneath a pair of denim blue overalls. And cowboy boots, because this is Texas, after all. I was hoping that that he would be wearing cowboy boots. So, what does... What does Susie look like, the mom? I think she's probably similar age to dad. You know what I think it is? They had one kid. So I bet you they're in their early 40s and had tried so long to have a baby and finally did. So they're maybe a little bit older parents to one kid. Mm. And Susie has, what do you think, long hair? Probably. Long, mousy brown hair. Just kind of like really average features. Maybe she wears like some pretty serious glasses. And uh, why are we describing me? Well, you have much more than average features. Okay. <laughs> well, and I think Susie wears uh, probably a dress. So 
if James and Susie are, are like in their forties, what made them shift all of a sudden from their city life in Chicago, where we presume James probably had some other kind of career going? What made them want to quit that and move to Texas to live on a ranch? Well, I think probably what happened was that James had always had big dreams and a lot of interest in um, living in the country and making a life for himself. Um, But his parents thought that that was impractical um, and that he should stay home and run the family business. But his dad recently passed away and uh, he decided, you know what, there's nothing keeping me here anymore and I'm going to live out these dreams. Big dreams and big boots. That's exactly what Texas is for. So this family, the McAllisters, they find some property in Alvin, Texas, and it's beautiful. And uh, on their property is this cute little farmhouse. Yeah, so it'll be this cute two-story little white farmhouse. has the classic wraparound porch. Susie puts two little rocking chairs out on the front porch, and she likes to sit on there and read a book. You walk through the front door, and on the right-hand side is a little sitting area with a couch, two chairs, and a coffee table, and a piano against the far right wall. For singing church songs. For singing and dancing. Jonah's a piano prodigy. Wow, this kid's going places. So you continue walking down the hallway of this house. And on the left-hand side is a stairwell leading to the second floor, which has two bedrooms and one bathroom. Past the stairwell on the main level is your classic farmhouse kitchen with blue cabinetry and yellow countertops, yellow linoleum countertops. And on the right-hand side is a little more informal dining nook. Like a little breakfast nook. Mm-hmm. And then through that is where you can find the laundry room and a little mud room. Okay. Um, how do you get outside of the house? Is there a sliding screen door off of the breakfast nook kitchen area? That's what I'm imagining. Yeah, there's a little... It's not a sliding door, but it's a little screen door that you can open and go through and then you go back out onto that wraparound porch and from there you have this really awesome view of some of the farm fields yeah so if you go outside the screen door you will just see um acres and acres of wheat fields and you know i'm not a farmer myself but that's what they have they have wheat fields the McAllisters do So, as this family kind of settles in to this new lifestyle and this new home, um, learning the ropes of being farmers now and everything that that entails. Yeah, do you think this family likes this new change? I think James does. Yeah, I imagine James being really enthusiastic about this new farming lifestyle. Um, He wakes up every morning at the crack of dawn, just excited to go out to the fields. And there are some rough days They were at the beginning when he first planted the crop. It didn't quite take, so he did have to replant. And that was a little deflating, but the second round of crop has 
um, the second round of crop has been going a lot better than the first. And so he's feeling pretty optimistic about the outcome of this. Susie, on the other hand, she misses Chicago a lot. Yeah. Um, she had, you know, a whole social life that she had to leave behind. Um, and that was really difficult. She definitely had to make a lot of sacrifices in order to be there. But she was willing to support James and willing to support Jonah as well in this move. Um, and so Jonah and Susie spend most of their days reading books together, um, working on, you know, little math problems, writing together. Um, and Jonah also really enjoys cooking. So Jonah and Susie like to cook um, different things together, like bread. Sometimes they'll bake bread. Jonah also likes to figure out how to braise beef. Very cool. <laughs> They're really embracing the Texas barbecue situation and trying to perfect the cornbread recipe. You know what I really loved in Texas? I loved my cornbread experiences. Cass is a vegetarian, so I ate and enjoyed the barbecue while Cass got to experience the culinary wonders and of varieties cornbread. of cornbread. <laughs> so one night, about a month after the McAllisters um, have moved into their new lifestyle and new home, uh, James is just uh, standing at his screen door looking out into the wheat fields and just really taking a moment to appreciate what he has in his life. And as he's standing there, um, he notices a single light turn on. It looks as if like somebody has taken a flashlight, pointed it towards the sky, and turned it on. And he's like, okay, what's going on? He can hear jonah and Susie upstairs like getting ready for bed so he knows it's not either of them so he's a little confused a little curious so he decides to walk out into the field to investigate and as he is approaching the light it just shuts off and then he's investigating the space and he can't find anything to signal that there was any sort of other life or any sort of object there that could possibly be making light so he just turns around, goes back into the house, and just kind of doesn't think about it. Every night for the next week, he sees this same light out in the field, and he can never figure out what it is. And he tries explaining this to Susie, but Susie doesn't believe him, because she's never seen this light. And every time he's tried to show it to her, the light hasn't been there. And so, after about a week of this happening, James is starting to really feel kind of confused and kind of tricked by this light. He's not sure what it is that he's seeing, and he starts to believe that maybe he is just imagining this, since nobody else has ever seen this, and he can't explain it. So, he just kind of files it away in the back of his mind and doesn't think about it for several more weeks. Until one night, as he is going around the house, locking all the windows and doors like he does every night, and just taking one last look outside of his screen door towards the back, he notices not just one of these lights, but dozens and dozens all throughout his fields. And so panicked now, and curious, 
and determined to have somebody else confirm to him what he's seeing, he dashes upstairs and convinces Susie to come down and look at this with him. And she does. She runs down with him, but still just in her house shoes and her little nightdress. And they go outside their screen door into their fields. And Susie sees the light. She can very clearly see these lights as they're shining. I mean, they're all over. They're practically shining through the windows. They're so bright. And so just in her little house shoes, Susie kind of darts out into the field to try and figure out what this is. And James is, is also running out into the field. But neither of them can ever seem to get close enough to a light to figure out what it is before it just shuts off. Anytime they start to get too close to the light, it turns off. So they're running around. Susie's hem of her nightgown is just covered in mud from the field. And her little house shoes are just have fallen off of her feet at that point. They're just stuck in the mud somewhere. But they're frantic trying to figure out what these lights are. And neither one of them can explain what it is about these lights that make them feel so panicked. But it's just the strangeness of the event, I think, that's making them worry. Because it's so unexplainable. And they look everywhere. They look up. They look down. They look sideways. They can't see anything that explains what these lights are. Nor can they see anything or markings in the field that might signify something else being there. Yeah, no footsteps, no noise. Maybe it's also strangely quiet. Doesn't even seem to be the slightest of breezes. Just these lights. Dead still night. Yeah. And as they're, I think, as they're running around and searching, um, after several minutes... James kind of like realizes that, you know, there was no other sound except for Susie also rustling around in the wheat. And he realizes that that sound has also stopped. So he pauses and takes a minute and like realize, looks around and realizes that Susie's no longer in the, f- in the field with him. Yeah, he can't see Susie anymore. So he called out to her. To try and figure out where she is, thinking maybe she just went back inside to grab a flashlight or something, or maybe some shoes. But she's not responding. Susie is nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard. So James panics a little bit and starts running, trying to figure out where Susie is. And he reaches the edge of one of the fields, and he notices some of her footprints just come to a stop. About five feet from the edge of the field, Susie's footprints just stop doesn't have any sort of signal that she's turned around or that she's gone in a different direction it's seemingly as though Susie has just been lifted out into the air from this spot in the field yeah and as James notices that um his head starts to hurt I think in a in a way that it's never hurt before And this deep, throbbing pain that feels like it's in the center of his brain, just radiating out through his head. Yeah, he gets a ringing in his ear as this piercing pain just blazes through his brain. Yeah, a pain so sharp that he starts to pass out, and as his vision blurs and blackens, he turns his head toward their house 
and sees Jonah standing there on the porch outside of the door, just looking at him. Just pointing towards the field, just looking at him. James wakes up in bed next to Susie as though nothing had happened. And he, you know, startles Susie awake and asks her what happened last night. Where did you go? How did we get here? And Susie doesn't understand what she's asking. Um, She has no memory of what happened last night, can't explain what happened, and thinks that James just had a dream. And James is pretty convinced that this wasn't a dream and is made even more convinced by the fact that as the two of them go downstairs and start fixing breakfast, he notices the hem of her nightdress um, is muddied. And he asks her about that. She can't explain that, though. So she's feeling a little confused and starting to wonder if maybe James hasn't made all of this up and but doesn't know what to do with that thought jonah comes downstairs and just kind of fixes himself a bowl of cereal and james is about to ask jonah what happened last night when he turns around and sees jonah just sitting at the table just staring at james and it's it's a little unsettling I mean, it's unsettling for anyone to just be staring at you. So James just kind of asks Jonah, like, Jonah, did you see something happen last night? Like, do you know what happened last night? And Jonah isn't saying anything, which is unusual. Jonah is a pretty chatty kid. Um, Usually has a lot to say, especially in the mornings at breakfast. So James just tries his best make sense of this situation make sense of the fact that he seems to be the only person who remembers what has happened that same day james has to go into town to pick up a delivery so james finishes up his little egg breakfast kisses Susie on the forehead and then hops in his little red truck (laughs) and drives about 45 minutes into town Yeah, so James drives into town, um, and it's really, town, I think, is generous. It's really um, a gas pump and, like, a small little general store, um, a post office, and really not a lot going on. Um, Sometimes the town will gather for, you know, 4th of July, things like that, but Mostly people just come for business and leave and go back home. James goes to the convenience store to pick up a shipment of tools that he had ordered and just kind of chats with Larry, the store clerk. Larry is an older man, about in his 70s, I'd say. Um, Pretty eccentric character. Um, Always has a lot to say and is definitely like the town socialite because he is one of the few people that actually interacts with a lot of the town characters um, with with a lot of the other town's population. Yeah, Larry's a wealth of history and information um, and charisma. Yeah. So the two guys are just kind of chatting and James mentions something about strange lights out in his field. And Larry kind of chuckles and just says, nah, that's just a bunch of the high school punks just 
playing a joke on you. You're the newcomer, you know, that's just breaking the ice, I guess. And James just kind of chuckles and was like, yeah, I guess. And Larry can kind of sense that James is feeling a little distressed about this, but just assumes that it's just because it's just this city boy moving out to the country doesn't know what to expect. And that's generally how most of the town feels about the McAllister family, that they are this wealthy city family trying their hand at a trade they've mastered for generations. So they haven't really formed a lot of friendships with the people in town, mostly because they just haven't seen a lot of people yet, but mostly because a lot of the other townsfolk don't really care to know the McAllisters. But Larry is friendly and Larry just kind of comforts James a little bit and says, it's okay, kid, you'll get used to it. So James packs up his tools into the truck and heads home. Yeah, so James gets back home and gets out of his truck and he can hear music playing from the inside of their house. He walks up the three stairs of their porch opens the screen door, and heads back to the kitchen sink to wash his hands, all the while whistling along to the music that's playing on the radio. As James is drying his hands, he hears Jonah outside. So he looks out of the kitchen window, and he sees his wife laying face down in the field. James, loving his wife very much, doesn't like the sight of her laying face down in their field, So he abandons his towel and rushes outside to check on her. As he approaches her body, he notices a lot of blood. And as he kneels to the ground and kind of turns her right side up, she appears to have been mauled by some kind of creature. So James, in his now absolute distress, is looking for signs of life for his wife, and he can't feel her breathing he can't feel a pulse he is pretty like sure that she is deceased in hysterics james leaves his wife's body in the field and is running around desperately trying to find jonah he's shouting jonah's name he runs into the house, looks every, looks in every room because he's terrified that the same thing that happened to his wife has happened to Jonah. But Jonah is seemingly nowhere to be found. And as he runs back down the stairs to run back out to his wife's body, he sees Jonah standing on the back porch just absolutely covered in blood. And also just unemotional, you know, no tears no terror across this little boy's face. Just standing there perfectly still, staring down his dad, just as he had that morning after Susie disappeared in the fields. And James is panicked, and he is, you know, grabbing his son, patting him down, making sure that he's not bleeding. And as he's doing this, he's he's asking Jonah frantically, what happened? Like, what happened to you? What happened to your mom? Are you okay? What's going on? Did you see anything? And it's, from the lack of Jonah's reaction, James is starting to realize that Jonah is fine physically, and this blood on him is not his own. So James backs up a little bit from Jonah, 
and just kind of looks at his son and asks him, did you do this? Jonah hasn't said anything up until this point, but after James asks, did you do this? Jonah's body just absolutely stiffens and his eyes begin to beam a bright, blinding light. And as this light shines right into James's eyes, his vision blurs and goes dark as he's beginning to realize that he is now also in danger. And so fearing for his life, James turns and just books it towards his truck. And as he's doing this, he's tripping and he's stumbling because his vision still isn't quite working from being blinded by the lights of Jonah's eyes. James makes it out to his truck and he's fumbling with his keys, can't quite find purchase on the right one, can't quite get it into the ignition. And as he's doing that, tears still streaming down his face, Jonah slams into the driver's side door and just rattles this truck which makes James drop the keys. And James, knowing that he's not getting out of this alive, turns to look at Jonah, who no longer looks like Jonah. His eyes are piercing beams of light that feel like they are melting into James's eyes, and he can feel all this heat and hatred coming off his son. And the last thing that James sees is Jonah's fist punching through the glass and grabbing him around the neck. So a few weeks pass and Larry from the general store starts to notice that James hasn't been in to pick up a couple of packages. Um, And, you know, he decides to be a good neighbor and take the packages over to the McAllister home. And when he pulls up to the McAllister's driveway, the first thing he sees is James's red truck looking pretty battered in the driveway. The glass has been punched out. Looks like there's been a struggle. Dents on the doors. And he approaches, expecting the worst, and does find the worst. James's body's been decomposing in that Texas heat for a few weeks. And Larry retches at the stench and is concerned and, and goes through the house. Can't find Jonah walks out to the back and sees Susie also there. So Larry, obviously concerned that something has happened to James and Susie, alerts the authority that there is a little boy missing. For weeks, the authorities try to track down Jonah with no success. The case seemingly forgotten until now when you arrive to tell the rest of the story. So we have reached the end of our very first episode, and we're feeling pretty good. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling curious and enthused. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you think happened with this story. Um, Was it aliens? Ghosts? Demonic possession? Who knows? Yeah, it could really be anything. So now it's time to find out where we're going to go next episode. Yeah, so each of the 50 states, we've assigned two numbers. So we're going to roll a D100 and see which state is the lucky winner. So I'm going to roll this dice. What do we get? 44. 
44. Which means that next episode, we're going to be going to the Great Lakes state of Michigan. So excited. Stick around for a few gameplay suggestions. And we'll see you next week in Michigan for another episode of Table Lore. Okay, storytellers, now it's your turn to tell the rest of this story. Roll a d6 for inspiration about how to continue the story. If you roll a 1 or a 2, tell the history of the ranch before the McAllisters arrived and met their demise. What strange or sinister past haunts this place? If you roll a 3 or 4, you or someone in your party has been asked by authorities to come to Alvin and investigate the murders of James and Susie and the disappearance of Jonah a few weeks after the incident. And if you roll a 5 or a 6, you or someone in your party comes into ownership of the ranch several years after the McAllister incident. How does its past haunt the present?